0: I'm always in search of good children's books for my son, so feel free to send recommendations my way. Here's one title I encountered recently, There's No Such Thing as Dragons by Jack Kent. It's about a boy named Billy who finds a tiny dragon in his bedroom. He tries to tell his mom, but she doesn't believe him. That disbelief only causes the dragon to grow bigger and bigger until it causes all kinds of mayhem in the house and in the town. It's only when the mother acknowledges that there really is a dragon, that it shrinks back to its original, manageable pet size. I'm not here to analyze in depth the meaning of this story, but it does illustrate how a parent at home can allow a potential problem to become an actual problem, and then it grows to be... Big problem. And acknowledging the problem is the first step to fixing it. This is somewhat analogous to David's situation. There is indeed going to be trouble at his home. Prophet Nathan warned that the Lord will raise up adversity against him from his own house. This was a consequence for his adultery with Bathsheba. But even so, David wasn't supposed to just sit there. Yes, he's under discipline as a child of God, but he still has responsibilities as father and as king. He has allowed problem children to grow right under his nose, not disciplining his firstborn's incestuous rape, and not addressing directly Absalom's vengeance. He did little as ruler to halt the pro- progress of a rebellion. He did not contain the dragon that is Absalom. Now he'll have no choice but to acknowledge the problem. But what comes after? What comes next after the acknowledgement? What does David do and what do we do when consequences of sin get out of hand? Second Samuel 15 teaches us some principles for dealing with adversity. Since this is a long chapter, I'll read it in three parts. After each reading, I'll discuss three lessons, and I'll just give them to you right now. One, distrust popularity and trust in God. Distrust popularity and trust in God. Two, serve and be served by fellow believers. Serve and be served by fellow believers. Three, pray for help and worship the Lord. Pray for help and worship the Lord. First, let's read verses 1 through 12. 2 Samuel 15. After this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for decision that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me that I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, "'Please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt at Geshur in Syria, saying, "'If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord.'" And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went two hundred men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. First, we learn from 2 Samuel 15, 1 through 12, to distrust popularity and trust in God. So, If you rely on likes on social media and live for the praise of men, you'll be disappointed in the end. But if you trust in God you'll eventually agree with his assessment of our hearts. Here's what the Lord said about his people in Hosea 6.4. Your faithfulness is like a morning cloud. And like the early dew, it goes away. You'll see why Jesus in John 24 did not commit himself to the masses, even as they believed in him. Why? Because he knew all men. If you knew men like God-knows men, you wouldn't trust them either. Absalom reveals why this is the case. Verses 1 to 12 can be neatly divided into two smaller parts. Structure-wise, verses 1 and 7 start with the same exact phrase in the original language, which is the normal marker of transition. You'll see it as it happened that and now it came to pass that. Content-wise, verses 1 and 6 is about the growth of Absalom's popularity. Verses 7 to 12 is about the growth of Absalom's conspiracy. That's easy to see, I think. What is challenging here, interpretation-wise, is the 40 years mentioned in verse 7, so I do have to deal with this. What is the starting point of this 40 years' are we talking about the beginning of David's reign well that can't be he reigned 40 years total is this Absalom's age no same problem Absalom was born after David took the throne in Hebron there are various other explanations the two interpretations i favor most both extend back to the days of David before he became king Here's one which says, it's been 40 years since David attacked Geshur. We go back to 1 Samuel 27:8. Remember that David and his men were living as spies in Philistia. Instead of fighting their own countrymen, they went up and raided the Geshurites. And now recall how Absalom's mothers from there and his grandfather was king there. And Absalom fled there after killing Amnon. Perhaps during his stay in that foreign land. He conspired with the Gastorites who wanted to avenge what happened back in 1 Samuel 27. Verse 8 in today's passage maybe hints at this. Here's the second interpretation of the 40 years from a pastor named Matthew Gage. Uh, we could be talking about 40 years of unwavering loyalty to David that comes to an end. Recall how even during Saul's reign, the citizens loved David. Back in 1 Samuel 18, we see Jonathan loved David. All Israel and Judah loved David. Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. All the king's servants loved David. Everybody loved David. But now we find in verse 6 in today's passage that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. One could explain the verse like this. Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel which David had possessed for 40 years. Now, I think either of these interpretations work, but it doesn't change the main issue here. How did Absalom steal the people's hearts? Well, Absalom had all the tools to use for God's glory, but rather he used it for evil, selfish gain. Recall in the previous chapter, his family privileges, the good looks, the ideal body, the long hair, beautiful daughter. Add to that in this chapter, verse 1, he got himself a brand new ride, perhaps literally a new whip, with chariots and horses. But it's not just a sedan. We're talking about like a parade here. It'll get him here to there with a lot of fanfare. He'll need it as he's a busy man. Up at the crack of dawn, it's like Absalom's the prototype of Micah 2, 1-2. Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and, make them and take them by violence, also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. And the man and the house and the inheritance Absalom targets is his own father. And all that belongs to him. And the way to the throne is through the gate of Jerusalem. Now, as you see in 2 Samuel 15 here in this, today's passage, Jerusalem's not only the nation's political and religious center. According to Deuteronomy 17, 8 to 13, is where the highest court of the land is found, the Supreme Court, you could say. So before the hardest, the most difficult cases reached the king's ears, Absalom would intercept them, befriend the citizens, sympathize with them, so discontent within David's government, and then avail himself as an alternative to David. He also feigned humility, acting like he doesn't want the royal adoration and attention. He related to the common folks as their equal. And that's how the prince stole the hearts of the men of Israel. That's how Absalom's popularity grew. Now we turn to the growth of Absalom's conspiracy. When he sends the right time, he went to his father and asked permission to go to Hebron. Why Hebron? Well, that's where he was born. That's likely where his biggest supporters live. That's about 18 miles from Jerusalem, far enough from the eyes of the king. He disguises his intentions by claiming to fulfill a vow at heaven and offering up sacrifices. This was a well-thought-out evil. Absalom had spies in place. He duped some important people from Jerusalem to come along. Maybe they thought it was just another celebration, but their presence at Hebron gives the appearance of legitimacy. But the most important person joining Absalom's camp is Ahithophel from Gilo, which is not too far from Hebron. He was a key official in David's course. His betrayal is going to send shockwaves everywhere. But what motivated Ahithophel? Well, I mentioned earlier in the sermon series that he's the father of Eliam, and Eliam's the father of Bathsheba. So You can look up 2 Samuel 11.3 and chapter 23, verse 34. It's likely that Ahithophel harbored hatred of David. He probably held a grudge against the king and never forgave him for the disgrace he brought to his granddaughter's family. with Ahithophel's treachery, there's no longer any doubt that Absalom really did steal the hearts of the men of Israel. Unlike that, he couldn't wait to be king. Unlike Jonathan, he didn't know and didn't care to know that God would choose someone else. He'll take the throne over his father's dead body. It's times like these that you realize you must distrust popularity and trust in God. Let's continue this chapter and read from verses 13 to 29. Now a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. And the king went out with all his household after him. But the king left ten women, concubines, to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Then all his servants passed before him, and all the Karathites, all the Pellethites, and all the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today, since I go I know not where? Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. But Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Ittai, Go and cross over. Then Ittai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over, and all the country wept with a loud voice, And all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron. And all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. There was Zadok also and all the Levites with him, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they sat down, Set down the Ark of God. And Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as it seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the Ark of God back to Jerusalem and they remained there. So here's the second lesson for dealing with adversity. Serve and be served by fellow believers. To be clear, this does not contradict my previous point, but builds on it. Distrusting popularity does not mean you dislike people. Loving God leads to Loving your neighbors. Trusting in the Lord means trusting in His plan for you, which includes belonging to a community and using your gifts and talents to edify others. Now, before I get into David's role as leader of an exile community, let's map out his itinerary. The king moves out of Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. That's not that far. In Acts 1.12, we're told the distance is a Sabbath-day journey. The rabbinic tradition calculates that as 2,000 cubits. We're talking only two-thirds of a mile. But keep in mind that the road is hilly. David's like a shepherd, guiding a caravan of all kinds of people, not just soldiers but women and children. And he himself is walking barefoot. Now, why did the king leave in the first place? He certainly doesn't want to be cornered by his enemy, but there's more to it. Look also at verse 14. He's concerned about Jerusalem. Lest Absalom strike the city. It's likely Absalom would have done whatever it takes to get his father's crown, including siege warfare. David has to leave to preserve the walls of Jerusalem. It's tragic, but the son he sent in peace, Absalom, whose name means the father of peace, is approaching the city like a foreign invader. So David uh, makes a strategic retreat for his sake and his city's sake. This is servant leadership. It's a difficult yet necessary move. He leaves behind his ten concubines at home and he'll no longer be intimate with them as we'll see in chapter 20, verse 3. That's good riddance. It took all this family pain for David to realize the foolishness of polygamy. As the king makes tough decisions to serve his people, he finds people ready to serve him, even foreigners. The Kerethites, Pelethites, and the Gittites in verse 18 are all likely from this coastal Philistine area. Among the Gittites, there was one named Ittai. He arrived in Jerusalem only recently from Gath as an exile. He's a man of influence as he has servants and children. But notice how he's Ittai is also a man of genuine faith in God. Also, he believes in David when David doesn't believe in himself. Notice how David says in verse 19, return and remain with the king, referring to Absalom. He sends Ittai with blessing in verse 20, but look again in verse 21 and see what this foreigner says. As the Lord lives, and as my Lord the King lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. Up to this point in 2 Samuel, only David invokes that oath formula, as the Lord lives. Here is a Gittite, a foreigner, a Gentile doing it. When David points over there and says, Go to the king, Ittai looks at David and calls him, my lord, the king. Because of this common faith, Ittai is that friend who sticks closer than a brother. His loyalty to David reminds us of Ruth and her devotion to Naomi. So there's no dissuading Ittai. He and his followers are not turning back. David serves, and he is served, by fellow believers. So with this encouragement, David continues on the path over the brook Kidron, just east outside Jerusalem. Stop to ask yourself a question here. Do you have someone like Etai in your life? You look around, and maybe in your closest circles, is there someone that's just like, wait a minute, why are we serving the Lord together. We have nothing in common in terms of our backgrounds or, you know, our common interests. But God brought us together to serve the Lord. I think if you live long enough and serve the Lord long enough, you'll have one of those, and I hope that you pray for that. So besides foreigners like Ittai, there were fellow key Key fellow Israelites, like the Levites. Now, in their case, it was not their calling to follow the king into the wilderness. Remember all the trouble David endured to bring the ark into Jerusalem. He's not going to risk damage to it. He's not going to take it as some lucky charm to bolster his chance of victory. We saw how that went earlier in history. Disaster. Disaster. Instead, David trusts in God and in his plan that if he's pleased to bring him back to Jerusalem, he'll be back. And if he doesn't return, that's fine too. Whatever God ordains is right. But even if Zadok and the priests stay behind, they could serve the true king. David perceives that Zadok could serve as David's eyes on the city because he's a prophet, a seer, as they used to call one. Zadok would have the help of Abiathar, another chief priest. Their two sons would also help. All these brave pledges of loyalty must have encouraged David to go on. The people need his servant leadership, and he needs their service. So let's see what happens next in the rest of the chapter, verses 30 to 37. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went up. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, there was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant, then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar the priest with you there? Therefore it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar the priest. Indeed they have there with them their two sons, Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So we learn here the third principle or dealing with adversity. Pray for help and worship the Lord. Now, before I talk about this lesson, I have to talk about the setting here. If you ever visited or revisited a place of significance in history, whether that's world history, national history, or family history, you may feel overwhelmed. You're standing where great men and women stood, where pivotal events happened. I felt that once when I stood inside the Colosseum of Rome or saw the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. And if you were to go to this place known as the Mount of Olives, you'd be standing on somewhere even more significant. Not only history as it relates to David, it relates to Jesus. And it relates to Jesus not only in his first advent, but also his second advent when he returns. More on that later. For now, see how in verses 30 and verse 32 and on to the next chapter, chapter 16, verse 1, David's ascent and descent upon this mountain gives structure to this passage. David's moving forward on the road here, but he's leaving a trail of tears. The journey is about to get worse, and another terrible news arrives. is that news of Ahithophel joining Absalom. We as readers saw back in verse 12. But despite this betrayal, here we have David at his best. Looking at his life, one may argue that he handled adversity better than he handled prosperity. That's because in those tough times, He turned to God. First, there's prayer for help in the second half of verse 31. Then there's worship of the Lord in the first half of verse 32. Some of David's highest achievements in worship came out of these lowest moments in life. Let me give you a sample from the Psalms. Psalm 3, 1 to 4. Lord, how they have increased to trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. There's another one, Psalm 41. There's some clue in Psalm 41 that on top of all these heartaches... David was not doing so well physically either. I read from verses 7 to 9. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me, they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. That familiar trusted friend, with whom he shared table fellowship in times past, is none other than Ahithophel, who has just kicked David to the curb. Later in the New Testament, you'll see how Psalm 41, verse 9, applies to Judas Iscariot and his betrayal of Jesus. One more, Psalm 55. Again, speaking of the traitor Ahithophel and the pain he caused David. Psalm 55, verse 12 to 14. It is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man of my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. Again, this is about Ahithophel. Friends, I don't know all your relationship problems, but I got to ask you. How do you respond to individuals who hurt you deeply? Do you act like you don't care, like a stoic? Do you cut off that person forever? I encourage you, even right now, pray for help and then go on and worship. Such relational disturbances, I'm talking all kinds here, infidelity, breakups, rivalries, apostasies. Don't let these stop you from going to the Lord. Back to 2 Samuel 15. Now David has just asked for help with regard to Ahithophel. God gives an answer almost immediately. That answer is, Hushai. Like Ittai and Zadok before him, Hushai comes along to help. Joshua 16.2 tell us, tells us that his people, the Archites, are from Ataroth on the border between Ephraim and Benjamin. More importantly, he's wise. Okay? But he's better suited to be a secret agent than a field agent. He can relay key intel to David with the help of the priests. We'll see how that plays out as we continue next time. So This is the beginning of a great rebellion that will change David forever. His faith does rise to the occasion, I believe. He learns to distrust popularity and trust in God more and more. As a leader, he serves, and he is served by fellow believers. He stops to pray for help and worship the Lord. Now, as we observe a sorrowful David leaving Jerusalem for the Mount of Olives, we get a glimpse of a greater story in the Bible in the later pages. About a millennium after 2 Samuel 15, there is another king named Jesus. He's from the line of David, but he's greater than David. He is God. He proved himself to be God with all of his miraculous works. He lived the perfect life. No sin was found in him. He's worthy to take the throne and crown of Israel. Yet after years of ministry, while in Jerusalem, he was rejected. Persecuted by, of all people, the religious authorities of the land. He, like David, was betrayed by a close friend. As his enemies plotted to capture him, Jesus also led his followers, crossed over Brook Kidron, and went to the Mount of Olives. We sang earlier about what happened at the place there named Gethsemane, how the Son of God submitted to the Father's plan to die for us sinners. For me, it was in the garden, he prayed, not my will, but thine. He had no tears for his own grief, but sweat drops of blood were mine. So he went to the cross for our sins. Yes, we are sinners, or no better than the men of Israel in today's passage. We are like Absalom and Ahithophel. We have turned from the Lord's anointed. There is in us a defiant and rebellious heart as we have revolted and departed from God. Disobeying his command, lusting, stealing, dishonoring our parents. Yet it was for us rebels that the king of kings was executed like a criminal. It was for those dead in trespasses that the prince of life died. He paid the price of hell and paid it in full as he was crucified. But then Christ rose again from the grave. He ascended to heaven, and someday he'll return The same Jesus will so come in like manner as his early disciples saw him go into heaven. In that day of his return, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives and in it, and it shall be split into two. There will be a judgment for all. Be sure that you're right with the Lord before you breed your last. Repent. Repent. Turn from your sin, rebellion, self confidence. Surrender to Jesus. Put your trust in Him for eternal life. You can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's celebrate this truth now as we observe the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Lord, we open Your Word, and we find in it not just stories from the past. Certainly not fairy tales, but true stories, and we find application in our own rebellion, in our own sin. Though we wish to be those loyal to David, but often we're more like the enemies of David. We're disloyal to You and Your anointed. Lord, there are many problems with us in our lives, or that grow out of our proportion, out of control. Lord, at the center of it all is that broken relationship with you that can only be restored to your son, Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have already made a decision and made the relationship um, just through faith, Lord, we ask that you would help us to forsake sin each and every day of our lives. For those of us who have not made that decision, pray that and we may know some of them in our own families or in our neighborhood, at work. Pray that they would end the rebellion and come to you. We thank you that we find a great welcome with you, Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.